Okay, so we're in the series, right? And the series is on how we're going to participate. What does it look like to participate in the kingdom ministry of Jesus Christ? That's our third pillar. And Jesus says in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And we talked about what are these greater works. And we, as we studied the word, what we landed on was not like we're going to do more powerful miracles, okay? That's just wrong because Jesus like was raised from the dead and he like atoned for the sins of the world. You're not going to ever do that or anything close to it, okay? So like burden off the back. But what it talked about is, what we talked about is that after Jesus died and rose from the grave, he filled us with the spirit, the greater work that we get to do that no one else in the history of Christianity or in the Old Testament ever could do was bring people into the kingdom of God, okay? There were healings, there was prophecy, there were all the gifts being poured out, but nobody before us, before the resurrection of Christ could bring people into the kingdom of God. And so we're talking about what does that look like for us? What does it look like? And every week we've talked about, we've shown that there are supernatural things that happen. Last week was water in the wine, then was the, uh, whenever Jesus healed the guy on the mat. All of the physical healings pointed to Jesus Christ. It pointed to him building his kingdom, him being glorified. Okay, and like I said, last week was joy. And when we were talking about joy, we were saying, you know, Jesus, he was at the wedding feast, his first miracle in John. And he said, basically, um, what we know from that time, rabbinical teaching would, would say to us, when the wine runs out, so does the joy. And whenever Jesus looked at the wedding feast, he realized it was a metaphor for his life. That's why when his mom asked him, hey, would you help out here? His response was, I'm not ready to die. Literally, that was his response. And so what triggered that is because he was looking at what was happening and he was realizing, I'm going to have to fix this joy situation. I'm going to be the one who has to bring the wine, bring the joy. And he looked at and he knew in his life that I'm going to be the one that for us to continue to participate in the joy of Jesus Christ and the joy of knowing the Father, that Jesus was going to have to fix it. And the way that he fixed it was by sacrificing himself, going to the cross, dying for your sins so that with Christ we can be raised in a relationship with the Father and we talked about that is what the kingdom of God looks like, that Jesus is joy, and that when we find our joy in Jesus, when we find our joy in Jesus, then people see that, and they're drawn into the kingdom of God. In the midst of any circumstance in our life, when we find our joy in Jesus, we are drawn, people are drawn to Jesus Christ, regardless of what's happening in our life. And that's attractive to them. That's different. That's not what the world teaches. Even though the world is hungry for joy, it will not find it in all the things that the world offers. And we talked about that last week. Okay, so this week, I'm going to like throw a massive humdinger of a curveball and talk about the exact opposite, okay? It's like joy last week, suffering, gnashing of teeth, like what in the heck's going on with my life? Is there a God? Why is he like crushing me? Where is he? I can't believe that. And guess what? That's what the kingdom of God can look like at times in our life. That's the reality. We don't like to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to explain it. We don't like to talk about it because we feel like it marginalizes the goodness of God. Okay? Well, if God is good, how can this happen? 
But really what's happening is it's marginalized the justification of God. It's marginalizing the cross. Is the cross powerful enough that in the midst of my brokenness, I will love, serve, and follow Jesus Christ? That's much more difficult to do than when the wine's flowing, right? The reason we meet in the round here is so that you can look across and see people worshiping in the midst of knowing that they're suffering, in the midst of their loss. That's, one of the, that's why we're in the round. That's the reason we got in the round is because Scripture tells us in Acts that, that there is a blessing for us when we see the glory of the Lord on us when we're worshiping. And now, as a pastor, I get to meet with you guys, and I know a lot of what's happening in your life, a lot of what your story is. And one of the most powerful experiences for me every Sunday, the Lord ministers to me, is when I look around and I know, I know things about you and I see you worshiping. I know that you don't have a job. I know that you have pain in your body and you're still worshiping. I know that you just lost your father and you're still worshiping. I know that you have financial struggles, that your marriage is on the rocks. And I look around and you're still worshiping. In the midst of your brokenness and pain and struggle, where you do not feel God, you do not see God, you are choosing to worship. That is what it looks like to participate in building and bringing the kingdom of God. I could end right there. I could end right there. I could, because that is the message of the gospel, and that's, I'm going to end right there. No, I'm not going to end right there. Um, that is the, me- the message of the gospel, and we're going to look at this right now. The, and this is what's cool about John. It's my favorite gospel. It was written so that we would believe. It's the only gospel that tells us. I'm writing this so that you would believe, that you would believe Jesus is who he says he is. And so this is what John does in in this deal, is that we read the story of the wine, first miracle. The very next thing, the very next story is a story where he goes to the temple, ballistic. He goes ballistic in the temple and turns over all the tables and makes everyone like, what in the what is going on? And Jesus is bringing a whip into the temple and turning over the tables. And we're going to talk about why he did that. But it's the exact opposite. And and we look at it, it's like, well, those oppose each other. But John puts them together because the same thing is happening in both of the stories, but they look different. Underneath the story is this truth. This is who Jesus is. He is God. And if he is the God of your life, the Lord of your life, you will treat him as your authority and you will yield to him in the midst of any circumstance in your life that you will trust him. He's not only the savior that will bring you to heaven. He's not only the savior that will answer your prayers and heal you. He is not only the savior that is good and he is of the wine, but he is also the savior of the death and the cross. He is the Lord He is the Lord of your life. And when someone is the Lord of our life, we submit, we yield, and we bow down just because. Just because. Now, that's hard. That's hard. I know that's hard because I I, I struggle with doing it just like you do. It's super hard. And so we're going to look at this story. We're going to unpack it a little bit. And we're going to unpack some of the, just a few verses that show us, like, what does it mean whenever God says he's going, he's crushing us? What does it mean that he's afflicting us? What's going on there? We know that that's not what a loving father would do, but Scripture talks about it. So what does that mean? Okay. 
This is what it says in John 2, 13 to 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, so this is what goes on whenever, so like the Jews had spread out all over, all over the place, okay? And every year they were all called to come back and they would bring a sacrifice to the Lord for their sins. So they would kill an animal for the, and they were told to do this as, as in their place to restore their relationship with God. In order for it to be life with God, there had to be death, okay? And so what would happen is like someone coming from, you know, Italy or somewhere, they're not going to bring a lamb all the way from Italy. That's just going to be a nightmare, you know? <laughs> Come on, Francis. <laughs> I mean, you'd be dragging them places. He showed up there with bloody hooves. It would just not be a pretty thing, right? And so what they would do is they would travel there, they get to the temple, and they would buy. They have to buy a sacrifice, okay? They'd buy a sacrifice, and then they would be able to sacrifice it for the sin, for their sin, the sin of their family, okay? And so that's what's going on. And the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Father, come, open our hearts to your word that we will live differently. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so, like I said, John puts these stories together to show us who Jesus is, right? And so, like, in the wine story, what's he doing? He's bringing life. He's adding something that's not there. Here, he's subtracting something. He's throwing it out. He's stopping something, okay? There was, in the first story, he's requested to come. He gets an invitation, and he comes. He's asked to come into the party. Here, he intrudes. He just busts in. He intervenes. He's like, I'm God. Watch this. Boom. And he just shows up. He just shows up and starts to do stuff. There, he brings joy and laughter. Here, he brings fear and confusion, There he comforts, here he disturbs, showing us who Jesus is like, showing us who Jesus is, showing us what God is like, that he loves us and cares for us, he he is a good father, yet in all of those things, there is the wine and there is the flowing of joy, there is life and there are answered prayer, all of these things, but there is also suffering, there is also testing, There's discipline. There's struggle. At the same time, it's not either or, it's both and. And John wants us to see that. Okay, so here's why Jesus busted in on the scene, okay, and did what he did. And there's a lot of interesting theories on this. And people try to find out all the details of it. But really, there's there's one main reason. And the main reason is because he's demonstrating his authority to do it. Just, he wants people to know, I am God. He wants people to know, I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. That's who I am. And when you jack around with my temple, with my house, with my father's house, I'm going to come and set you straight on what the purpose of this really is. And so what does he do? He grabs, he makes a whip. That's the first thing he says, right? And now in your mind, I know what I always thought about this, like one of those big bull whips, 
right? He's like, that's what I'm thinking. Or you're thinking like cat of nine tails that he was whipped with. Wrong, 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 okay? Jesus wouldn't do that, like going in and busting on people, ripping the skin off their back, wrapping it around their neck. No, he's not going to do that. That's not Jesus. He's able to move in angered but not sin, okay? Not hurt in the way of a physical hurt. There's something much bigger going on. And so when you look at whip here, it means kind of like, like bushes, like pieces, like bu- pieces, stems of plants, okay? Like a switch, you know? And so that's the kind of whip he made. So he gathered all these things together and he held it in his hand and he went in. It's like Jesus, literally, it's like Jesus is shooing people away with a broom. That's the picture we get. Get out of here. You know, he's like, you know, kind of doing this with this like bundle of leaves and plants, right? And he's obviously it's working because they're getting out of the way. They're obeying him and they're moving aside, but he's not in his anger sinning. He's not in his anger doing anything that's a contradiction to God's law and God's love. And we need to remember that because when we look at the way that we are tested, sometimes we think, I can't believe that God is whipping me with a cat of nine tails, that God is going to do this awful thing to me. No, no, that's not what's happening here. Jesus is humbling them, reminding them, this is my temple, bringing them low so that they would remember who he is, that he is God, okay? And so, and Jesus does that just, just like the wine thing, okay? So he's thinking all these things, and in the wine story, remember, he reacted, I don't want to die now. And you're like, why did he say that? That's kind of weird. And we said, well, he said it because he saw the, what was happening as a metaphor for his life, of what he was going to have to do, that he was going to sacrifice for all these people. And he just reacted, I'm not, it's not my time to die. Mother, why are you talking to me like this, lady? Right? And he says, it's not my time to die. Well, Jesus reacts the way he does because he's sitting there again, and he's watching what happens. And he's watching it. And it's starting, in his mind, he's starting to see another metaphor for what his life is going to be like. That this is the story, this is the shadow of something greater. That these people, my family, are coming from faraway places to make a sacrifice so that the separation from my father can be restored. Okay, and Jesus sees this, and what it says is that he sees a marketplace. Now, we don't have anything like this in Jacksonville, really, a a place where there's hustle and bustle, there's people bargaining, there's people, like, arguing over prices, there are people making deals on the side, there's people being blackmailed. We don't kind of have that. I've been to a place like that in China, there are places like that in metropolitan cities, but I was trying to think of an analogy, like, what would make you angry? Like, what kind of marketplace vibe would make you angry? It's like Jesus would say this, it's like, you know, I was going to the arts fair. What's it called on, the, uh, on Saturdays under the bridge? Riverside Arts Market. Like, I love the Riverside Arts Market. It's chilled. It's peaceful. It's amazing. And you show up one Saturday, and there's like a JCPenney's and a Sears, a Home Depot, all bought their stuff up there. You'd be like, what in the what is going on here, right? Jesus kind of thinking, he's looking at the situation. He's like, what in the what is going on here? Because what was happening is people were coming with their sacrifices, and there would have been a big crowd of people, and people are doing all of these things, money changing, doing all of these things, and then they were like, okay, I got the sheep, here's some money, get me the sheep, and he turns and gives it to the priest, the priest's like, cuts the throat, blood's out, move on. 
And it's like a machine. They're going through the motions. They're not paying attention to what the sacrifice is about. And Jesus sees that, and he's thinking, they're not ready. They don't understand. They're not taking this seriously. They're in this mindset of going through the motions. And so what does Jesus do? He goes down, and he overturns the tables. He goes down and says, you're not getting it, or demonstrates, you're not getting it. My father's house is a house of prayer. My father's house is a, is a house where you are to be restored. Well, one day, I will be sacrificed for you. I will be sacrificed for you. And you don't get it. You don't get it. There should be a tremendous amount of grief and sorrow and brokenness as you come with your sacrifice Realizing you have no hope to be with God. Realizing that there's nothing you can do and you're desperate and there's fear and you bring your sacrifice there. And that's an emotion you're feeling, right? It's not joy. There's not joy right then. And you bring this sacrifice and you lay it before the priest. And then you're thankful when the blood flows that there was a, there was a sacrifice. There was a sacrifice for me. And there's a joy in response, in our hearts of what God has done for us, what we couldn't do, that in a death that we deserve because of our sin, God has given us something to be killed so that we can have life. And Jesus saw this, and it made him angry. It made him angry because they were missing it, because they were going through the motion. There are times... Whenever we act this way in our faith, there are times in our life we come into faith, there's a realization of the gospel, right? There's a realization of our brokenness, how wicked we are, right? And, and we realize this is not good. Like, I'm swinging over hell on a rotten vine, it's going to snap, and I am, like, doomed. And then we hear the story of Jesus Christ and the love he has for us, and that there's a rescue on the way, and that he rescues us in this great joy, and we walk that, we believe that, we're on fire for that. But then in our life, what happens? We can start treating that as just like, I'm going to walk through the motions. I can go to church. I'm going to read my Bible every once in a while. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. You know, and we lose the joy. We lose the sacrifice and the power of the sacrifice. And what does Jesus do? He comes into our life and he overturns our tables. He rocks our world. He allows something to happen that doesn't go away because he wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to remember the sacrifice so that we will find life in him. In Job 5, 17 to 18, it says, Behold, blessed is, blessed is the one, blessed is the one that God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. He wounds, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but in his hands heals. That's God overturning your table. That's what God will do because he loves you. Blessed are you when this happens because it draws you back deep into the intimacy of the father that the sacrifice originally drew you into. But what do these words mean? I mean, how can, what does this mean, right? Well, reprove here, wound here, shatter here. The words in the Hebrew mean educate. The words in the Hebrew mean the reason that these things exist are to instruct us, to discipline us. And they're, always, they're paired with the positive. That, that he does these things. He disciplines us 
and then he binds us up. He's always with us. You know, we sing the song, what was it? Jesus, Jesus, you know, the darkness trembles. In our minds, I think we sing that, or I've always sung that like, we're in the light frolicking on a hill with unicorns and gummy bears or whatever, and we're like, Jesus, you're like, we're singing it in the season of joy. How much more powerful if we're singing that in the season of darkness, that the darkness trembles, but the darkness doesn't leave. The difficulty, the pain and the suffering is real, but Jesus is with us. He never leaves us, never because he's good, but he brings us low, and, but binds and heals us. And someone, there's a million, just so you know, there's a gajillion verses in the Bible that talk about this. Okay, I'm not cherry picking a few. There's a lot of them that talk about the Father, and I'm going to read one in the New Testament too. In Psalm 119, 73 to 79, those who fear you shall, shall wait, I was like, wrong, wrong pause. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. Those who see you, what do they see? Because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Not the enemy. God has afflicted you. Let your steadfast love comfort me and your promise to your servant. Let those who fear you, let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. That people would look at my life, they would see my testimony in the midst of what's happening, in the midst of what's happening, and they would be drawn to you. They would testify to who you really are. Now, here's the thing, is a lot of us get hung up on this idea, well, God doesn't act this way, or God doesn't do that, or that's always the enemy. We don't know. We just don't know. We just don't know which is which sometimes. We know that God does not cause sin. We know that no sin can come from God. Nothing evil can come from God because he's, it's impossible for him to do that. It's against his nature and his character. But we can be in trials, we can be in tribulation and not know where it's from or what it's about. And we try to figure that out instead of like, and no matter what, it doesn't matter to me, I'm going to love and serve and fear the Lord. That's what God is after here. And in Philippians, it says this. And again, in this word, afflict, in this, in this deal here, what it means is for God to bring you down, for God to humble you. He's saying, when your life gets jacked up and you're thinking you're all that, you're starting to do works, and you're thinking, you don't need me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come over, flip your tables upside down, and I'm going to humble you. I'm going to remind you that I am God. I don't exist for you. You exist for me. God is, a, he can do whatever he wants. He's flipping God, right? What in, the, what in the what that we have, the gall, that we have the pride to say, that can't be God, or God would not do that. Why aren't you doing that? Because you haven't done that, then I'm not going to worship you, then I'm not going to do this. That is Lord, your Savior, I'm going to use you to rescue me. I'm going to use you to bring healing. I'm going to ask you to do these things, but I will not yield and bow to you. That is us not yielding and not bowing to the Lord. In Philippians, it says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. It's that humble word right there. I know how to be brought low, 
And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we see that, like, written on people's eyeballs, right, when they're going out to play football. That's just jacked up. That has nothing to do with this. It's like, I can score touchdowns. I can use you, God. Will you let me use you to do something I need you to do? That's the opposite of what this verse is about. No. This verse is about, like, if my life is crap, if my life is horrible, if I am in suffering, I can make it through because of who you are. Because I know you love me because you are good. And I bow before you regardless of what's happening in my life. And this is, this is the life of a Christian. This is normal. This is normal. Often we bring joy in because of our need and our brokenness. And there's a season of that prosperity. There's a season of that goodness in our life. But there is also, and there will also be storms that come, Jesus says. There are going to be storms on all of us, on all of us. But what will you build your house on? On what you want or what I am, what I want and who I am. But this is normal. This is normal. So often I meet with people and I'm just like, they're like, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like God's abandoned me. I'm like, God, that's against scripture. God can't abandon you. He says he's always with us. So whatever you're feeling, whatever you're doing, that's not true. So let's back up. Let's back up. What's really happening? I'm really struggling trusting God. Well, that's okay. God can handle that. He's bringing you low. So you'll come back. So you'll grow in your faith. So he's preparing you for something else. That's usually what always is happening. Is God is strengthening your faith. Because he has something more for you to do that you will need to have a stronger faith than you currently have. If God comes into your life and says, I'm bringing things into your life just because I want you to submit. Just because of who I am. Because I have the right to do it. Because I am your creator. And because I am your redeemer. It is extremely important. And maybe the biggest reason for following him is for you to understand that truth that I submit. In the Garden of Eden, one rule, one command. Why? Why do you tell him not to eat the tree? Why? Why do you tell him not to eat the fruit? Could he eat any tree? Why do you tell him not to eat the fruit? Because this is the only he wanted them to obey. He wanted them to yield. He wanted them to trust, trust him. That's the reason. And the same is true for our life. There doesn't have to be a reason. Sometimes there is. But we don't have to know the reason. There's always a reason, but we don't have to know the reason. Okay, so there's someone in our church that this is a testimony to, right? And um, amazing, faithful, very faithful, very prayerful, very incredibly used by the Spirit, right? And they get like, have an operation, something happens, and then they have, like, something go wrong, like, months later, and they find out it's cancer. And then, like, a week later, they find out the cancer has, like, gone up to their brain, like, which is, like, just doesn't happen. It's really rare. And so um, we were, I mean, people are going to see her and praying for her. And we start hearing these stories. 
that, man, I went to minister. I went to encourage this person and pray for this person. And I left so encouraged. I left so blessed. It was amazing. I went in there, and I just felt so free when I left, so encouraged when I left. I'm like, what? Well, the elders, you know, we were going to pray for them. We're like, we're going to see if this is true. All right, so all the elders go there, right? And we're just listening to her, and it happens. We're like being ministered to. We're experiencing, we're going to pray for her, and all of us are like having these incredible experiences of the Spirit, like God's speaking to us as we pray for her. God's like connecting things between us and unifying us as leaders and as elders in the church. It was incredible. It was incredible because of her choice to serve and to love the Lord in the midst of this incredibly difficult and painful and confusing situation. That is the power of the gospel. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That's how we're called to live. Now, what if we went in there and she's like, oh, hell, I'm going to die. The Lord doesn't care about me. I can't, I can't believe this. I've been praying for him. I've been faithful. I just can't believe this, and I'm going to just forget him. I'm going to go my own way. Where's Buddha, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe not the last bit, but I'll, t- I'll tell you that is not uncommon. That is not uncommon. Again, I meet with people. I've been hurt for the church because God didn't do this. I've left my faith because God didn't do this. God does not exist for us. Last night I was, I was talking to her, and um, she literally was going through my talk and using all the scriptures that I was using in Philippians. And she said this as we are leaving. As we are, she said this in 1 Peter 4.11. It says, whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, prophesies. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God that supply strength that God supplies, in order that everything God and everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion and forever. And she said, she said this. She said, I want my life always to glorify God. I want I live for the gospel for God to be glorified. That is my testimony. That's how I want to end or and that's how I want to go on. I have faith that God is going to heal, but no matter, my desire is to glorify God. That is my bottom line. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that encourages my faith. I will tell you, that encourages my faith way more than someone being healed. Way more than someone being miraculously healed. That encourages my faith because I am going to go through that sometime. I may be going through that now. And I hear that story and I'm reminded that I have hope in Jesus Christ regardless of what is happening in my life. I've met a whole lot more people that have gone through that, have sustained that, and they have made it through that journey and survived and encouraged us. Then I have people who have healed physically things that have happened. Because to remember, the greater thing for us is not the physical healing. Physical healing always points to Jesus. The greater thing that we are called into is healing the heart. And a story like that heals our heart, encourages our heart. And it's only a story like that. That when we believe God is God, we believe that he is good, we choose to serve him and trust him and live for him and love for him in the midst of our brokenness, only then will God use our affliction to bring people into the kingdom of God. If you're acting like everyone else in the world, they will not be drawn into the kingdom. You will be pushing them away. 
But if you're living like this person lived, if you're living to glorify God, the world sees that. They see that and they're like, that is jacked up. That is messed up. Why are you doing that? Because I live my life to glorify Christ. Because I trust him. Whether I live or I die, I trust him. I love him. I serve him. He is my king. It's, it's all that I can do. Where else would I go? We'll end with Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Participating in building the kingdom with Jesus Christ begins with treating him as our Lord, especially in the midst of our suffering, so that people would be drawn to him. Let's stand.